Our Bibles open to two texts, please. First Corinthians chapter nine and Hebrews chapter twelve. <coughs> A passage <coughs> that brother uh, brother Brian Berkeley read a little while ago. I want to just read part of that. Verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And in Hebrews chapter 12, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, laying aside every weight and <clears throat> the sin which doth so easily beset us. When I thought about the Olympian race, we've just come through that in Colorado and in Utah and in Seoul, Korea, and all these races that have gotten the attention of the world, I thought the believer has an Olympian race, and the whole world is watching. Years ago, Charlie Tillman wrote the words, life is like a mountain railroad, with an engineer that's brave, who must make the run successful from the cradle to the grave. Watch the curves, the fills, the tunnels. Never falter, never quail. Keep your hand upon the throttle and your eye upon the rail. Then I thought life is also like a ship at sea. Sometimes two ships will pass in the night. And years ago, before they had the radio like we have today, they would take a big broadcaster. They would cry out, Whither bound? The other ship would answer. And you and I are like that. We're passing each other sometimes in the night and we never meet again. And the song the quartet sometimes sings, if we never meet again this side of heaven, we will meet on that wonderful shore. But it reminds us that we're also being watched. We're in a race. Life is like a great race with grandstands that are full. So is every believer. And so is the church of the living God. The world is watching. This is testified to by three areas very quickly this morning. Number one, our architecture. Number two, our authority. Number three, our advance. First of all, the world is watching what we're made of. Our architecture. If you look at this building, You'll notice it was not just happenstance. Every part of this building was based on scripture. The windows Ella Wonderwood designed to make them look like the jewels of the New Jerusalem. And if you read in Revelation 21 all the different beautiful stones that make up the New Jerusalem, these windows reflect that truth. Yeah. In the back, you see an arc with an arrow pointing heavenward. The design of this church is to point people home to heaven. Yeah. 
In the center of the church is the pulpit, signifying that we believe the preaching of the Word of God is what God has planned to save those that will believe. Amen. Just behind the choir, you'll see the baptistry. There's no curtain over the baptistry. The baptistry pictures the resurrection of Christ. And there's no curtain because that resurrection is continually open. And those who follow their Lord in believers' baptism go down into the water, but they don't stay down there. They come up out of the water, symbolizing the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In front of the pulpit is the communion table. The communion table represents the shed blood and the broken body of our Lord. And from time to time, and I believe next Sunday night will be the time, we come together and break the bread and drink the cup and we symbolize our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ from the time of his crucifixion until he comes again. The light have a cross, and if you'll notice the Greek word Cairo, representing Christ, representing the fact that Christ is the only light of the world. He is the light of the world. And that Cairo says Jesus is the light of the world. The carpet and the pews are all red, reminding us of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. The cross there reminds us that that's the emblem by which we go forth. And one day that cross will be exchanged for a crown. These are all symbols, the architectural symbols of our faith. But you and I are the temple of the living God. Not only in our building architecture, but you and I are made carefully after the image of God. And the race that we're in, people are watching, and they're watching to see what we're made of. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And God had planned that you and I be living examples, living epistles, of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we run the race acceptably, and the writer of Hebrews says, wherefore seeing we're encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, maybe speaking of those in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the men of faith, the heroes of faith, maybe he's also speaking of all of our loved ones who have gone on to heaven, maybe he's speaking of those to walk around this earth with us today. They're witnesses watching us to see what we're made of, to see what kind of life we live, to see if we exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we say we trust and believe. The architecture of our life reveals something about the race of our life. And we are in a great race. And the world is watching. And we're on our way to heaven. We're on our way to glory. A while ago we sang, we're marching to Zion. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord and thus surround the throne. That's God's plan. But it also says, 
let those refuse to stand who never knew our God. And so, in the Christian race, we are divided. We are disturbers. You know that Jesus was the great disturber? We call him the comforter. We call him many, many wonderful names. He was wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But he was also a disturber. Right. Not everybody loved Jesus. Those who loved their own ways, those who prioritized their lives to put number one first, didn't care anything about Jesus. They're the ones that crucified him. And the same is true today. There are people all around us who care little about our God. They know nothing about Jesus. And it is our responsibility to tell them. Not only with our words, but with our life. And not only with our life, but with our lips. We are to walk the walk. Sometimes our talk is louder than our walk. And the people do not believe. But when our walk and our talk line up together, and we're in that race going on to glory, and the grandstands are full, they'll see and they'll walk. One of the great blessings of the Billy Graham crusade, he fills the stadiums where the world has gone to watch the games. We're a plain and game-hungry world. And those same grandstands that are filled with people watching the football and the basketball and the baseball and all the other games come together from time to time in a city like Louisville or Cincinnati or Nashville or other places or Los Angeles, and they fill those grandstands and they watch. <clears throat> some come criticize. Some come with opinions that are not uh, uh, that are not decided yet, and they hear that man of God, who has run the race all these years Amen. and has preached the glorious gospel Amen. around the world, and the grandstands of the world have watched, and many, many have come to know Jesus Christ Amen. through that right. ministry. You and I are like that. Maybe on a lesser stand. But the grandstands surrounding us are just as much watching. They're trying to see what the architecture of our life has made us. Are we really real? Or do we just go to church on Sunday because it's a customary thing or a cultural thing? But out there on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, do we honor Christ? Do we live a Christ-filled life? Life is like a race. The Olympian race we're involved in. Our church is involved in it. Individual lives are involved in it. But not only our architecture, but our authority. What is our authority? Many people have the authority of feeling. They get their feelings hurt so they don't come back. Have you ever hurt somebody's feelings? I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but everyone is guilty. Have you ever had your feelings hurt? What do you do about that? A lot of people get up on Sunday morning and they say, well, I just don't feel like going to church today. I think I'll just sleep in. 
Remember the feeling. The circus comes, all the state fair, the county fair, or some ball game comes up, and this is the Lord's Day, and we feel like going to the ball game. We feel like going to the circus. We feel like going to the show. We, our authority becomes our feeling. Whatever you feel like doing, do. You feel hurt at somebody, be mad at them. Somebody steps on your toes, don't go back. Our authority becomes our feelings. People are watching that. And then there are those who just follow their whims. Whatever the latest thing is. It's amazing the kind of style we follow. When Castro took over Cuba, and incidentally, America helped Castro. Bautista was the leader of Cuba. Not too good a leader. Castro was up in the mountains. And America cheered him on, cheered him on, cheered him on. And when he became the leader, when he conquered Cuba, we had him come to Washington. He spoke to a joint session of the Congress. Then he went back to Cuba and announced that he was a communist. And eyebrows went up everywhere. Now, there were spiritual people that were warning us all along. The Christians in Cuba warned us that that wasn't right. We became Christians. But do you know what he did? He wore long hair. had a strange hairstyle. And immediately, that hairstyle came to America. And all, many, many of the men of that, of that period of time began to wear long hair. It was the style. And they wanted to look style. Today, one of the styles is the tattoos. And people get tattoos all over their arms and their bodies and every place they can find a place to put, they put a tattoo. And it's a style. Now, <clears throat> God keeps them no better. Let me give you a little illustration of this. My brother Roger, I love him, he's in heaven today. He's one of my dearest friends. He's been here with us many times in the past. When he was in the service during World War II, it was a popular thing to get a tattoo. He got a tattoo on his arm. And he gave his life to the Lord at a Charles E. Fuller Old Fashioned Revival meeting in Los Angeles. He was ashamed of it. Most of the rest of his life, he wore long sleeve shirts. He came by the casket. Notice that that was all covered up. Most never even knew he had it. He was ashamed of it. You see, when God's people, called by God's name, want to honor Christ, even though we have to deal with things that have gone on in the past of our lives, we have a certain shame about it. The problem comes when nobody has any shame. Man, God. We're shameless society today. We can sin, we can go on in a degradation and not care what the world watches. I told uh, people Wednesday night something I've mentioned before, I'm sure. Years ago, the Sunday Baptist Convention was held in New Orleans. 
One day when the convention dismissed at noon, one of our men and I walked down Bourbon Street. And uh, I was, I've never been on Bourbon Street before. I heard of uh, the Bourbon Street chaplain. And so we started walking down Bourbon Street. And I noticed a, a man in front of us about a half a block down the street. He didn't have much clothes on at all. He had passed us. I noticed his toes were painted Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, in red letters. Had some tattoos about Jesus on his body. And I noticed he stopped and talked to somebody along the way down there. We just were watching. And uh, so he talked for a while and went on. When we got down there, the man was out there on the street. Bar Bourbon Street is a, is a, is a specialist for uh, liquor joints and, and striptease places and prostitutes and so on and homo places. And we stopped to see the same man. He was standing out in front of his tavern. We spoke to him about Jesus and he said, Jesus? He said, the Jesus you're talking about is like that guy just talked to me. I don't want anything of it. He came down and he just paint toes, painted Jesus and talked to me about Jesus and I said, I've got more than he's got. I don't want anything he's got. What am I saying? I'm saying you don't have to be like him to win him. Amen. Right. You don't have to get down in the gutter to identify with people. Years and years, we had a crossroads mission down on the main street. Buildings are gone now. They've all been torn down. But we had a crossroads rescue mission there. And our young people, every Friday and Saturday, were down there on the street picking up drunks out of the gutter, witnessing the prostitutes, and talking to them about Jesus. Man. Our young people wore a shirt and tie Man. and dresses. They didn't have to get down in the gutter and act like the gutter people in order to try to reach them. And many people were saved during that time. Man. What am I saying? The world is watching. We're in a race. We're in a race. We're on our way to heaven. We're on our way to Emmanuel's land. And the world is the grandstand. And they're watching. What will it be like? Our authority can be our feelings or our whims or the latest styles. But our authority needs to be the wonderful word of God. Man, right. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2, the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously, soberly, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope, the Man. glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our authority. The Word of God. Man. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And last of all, the believer's Olympian race deals with our architecture, 
our authority, and our advance. The advances we make. During the Civil War, there were a lot of popular songs. Yes, we'll rally around the flag, boys. We'll rally once again, shouting the battle cry of freedom. We'll rally from the hillside. We'll gather from the plains, shouting the battle cry of freedom. We're springing to the call of war, brothers gone before, shouting the battle cry of freedom. And we'll fill the vacant ranks with a million free men more, shouting the battle cry of freedom. And then Philip Bliss wrote this Christian hymn. Oh, my comrades, see the signal waving in the sky. Reinforcements now appearing, victory is nigh. See the mighty host advancing, Satan leading on. Mighty men around us falling, courage almost gone. See the glorious banner waving, hear the trumpet blow. In our leader's name we triumph over every foe. Fierce and long the battle rages, but our help is near. Onward comes our great commander. Cheer, my comrades, cheer. Hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace, we will. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12, lay aside every weight. Whatever that weight is. Sometimes that weight is an insignificant little petty something that ordinarily would not even be a sin, but it keeps us from being at our best for Christ. Lay aside every weight. As the Holy Spirit applies that to our hearts, whatever it is, as a church, we must lay aside every weight. Man. The things that would pull us down, pull us backwards. Most of the time with us, it's lack of faith. Faith is the victory. And then he said, lay aside that sin that does so easily accept Each one of us has something we have to deal with. The sooner we learn what it is, the better. The devil already knows and he throws it at us all the time. Amen. And a lot of times we don't know it. And we just succumb to it. But uh, the Holy Spirit says, lay aside that sin. The weight, yes, get rid of them, you don't need them. But lay aside that sin that does we Sometimes it's cynicism. Sometimes it's criticism. Sometimes it's sarcasm. Sometimes it's prejudice. Sometimes it's some moral sin. Lay aside, get rid of it. You don't Man. need it anymore. Our advance depends on our willingness to lay all that aside. Trials will come. Troubles will come. Everyone in this room will face trials and troubles and heartaches and hurts. What are you going to do about it? Some people just throw in the towel and quit. They say, well, I've had it. I can't take any more. I'm just going to quit. Where could I go but to the Lord? Amen. Living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford. Where could I go but to the Lord? Amen. You can go to the world, but the sexual rules of the world don't satisfy. Only Jesus satisfies the human heart. Amen. Only Jesus. When the tears come, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. When you stand by an open grave and you've buried your dearest loved one, the Bible says, 
Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For we shall be changed. The dead will be raised incorruptible. And when temptations and trials and hurts and tears come, I think of that song, Tempted and Tried, we're all made to wonder. Pride should be thus all the day long, while there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. Tonight I'm asking Brother Lloyd to sing the shadows deepen and my heart bleeds. I will not question the way God leads. This side of heaven we know in part. I will not question a broken heart. Jesus gives victory in the time of hurt and tears and sorrow. And the world is watching how we react. I've had funerals where loved ones try to reach down in the casket and get in the casket itself. They're so distraught. I've had other funerals of people who loved their loved ones dearer than life and they stood by with a tear and said, I'll see you in the morning. Amen. That's the faith of God's people. I'll tell you, Everybody in this room is going to have some tears. Everybody in this room is going to have some trouble. What are you going to do with it? How will you deal with it? Where will you place it in your life? Columbus felt a conviction to try to find a route to the other part of the world, West Indies. He got permission from the king and queen and set out on his voyage. Joaquin Miller gives a picture, insight into what went on in that little boat as they crossed the Atlantic. Behind him lay the gray Azores, behind the gates of Hercules, before him not the ghost of shores, before him only shoreless seas. The good mate said, Now must we pray, for lo, the very stars are gone. Brave Admiral, speak. What shall I say? I say, Sail on. Sail on and on. My men grow mutinous day by day. My men grow ghastly, wan and weak. The stout mate thought of home. A spray of salt wave dashed his swarthy cheek. What shall I say, brave Admiral, say, if we sight naught but seas at dawn? You shall say at break of day, sail on, sail on and on. They sailed and sailed as winds might blow. Until at last the Blanche maid said, why not even God would know. These very winds forget their way, for God from these dread seas is gone. Brave Admiral, speak, what shall I say? He said, sail on, sail on and on. They sailed they sailed. Then spake the mate, This mad sea shows its teeth tonight. He curls his lips and lies in wait with lifted teeth as if to bite. Brave Admiral, say but one good word. What shall we do when hope is gone? The words leapt like a leaping sword. Sail on. Sail on and on. Then pale and worn he kept his deck and peered through darkness. All that night, of all dark nights, 
And the other side, a light. A light. A light. It grew to be time's burst of dawn. He gained the world and gave that world its grandest blessing. On, stay along. Ladies and gentlemen, when the turbulent times come, we need to keep on going. When the church has problems, we need to keep on going. When tears and heartaches and hurts plague your heart, you just keep on going. Sail on and on and on. The world is watching. We're like a great ship on the sea. We're like a mountain railroad. We're like a great athlete running a race. Will you run to the finish line? You can through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God and all of its authority and power. We thank you that we are in an Olympian race. The world is watching. Help us to lay aside every weight, the sin which doth so easily beset us, our lack of faith. We pray that someone in this auditorium today will open his heart to Christ, will take a stand for Jesus. This will be a day of victory. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, please. The invitation is 446. 468. Without him I can do nothing. 468. As we sing in a moment, the invitation is open. First of all, if you've never been saved, I urge you to come to Christ. Just like you are. I want to tell you, Jesus will never disappoint you. There's no disappointment in Christ. He's all that he said he would be. He'll bless you. He'll love you. He'll strengthen you. He'll be with you in your trouble. He'll be with you to victory. If you're already saved, is this the day you need to take a stand for Christ and become part of this church and desire to follow the Lord in baptism? You do what God tells you to do. If your letters are in another church and God wants you here, you come. There may be some who need to renew their covenant with Christ for a deeper walk of faith. Will you do what God says while we sing, while we pray, will you come?